0: Driving it home with Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. From global conflicts to greenhouse gases, the folks refusing to
1: wear masks, and politicians getting caught grabbing asses, she's driving
2: it home with Patty Vasquez.
3: Hello, hello, and happy Wednesday. Uh, Let's kick things off right now. Let's just get to it because, uh, you know, Heartland Signal does a great job of catching stories that might otherwise go unnoticed, uh, including, uh, you know, maybe a legislator in Ohio who's like, what? A husband should be able to rape his wife. We don't need any exceptions to that. Tim Hogan, the news director of Heartland Signal Newsroom, joins us. Uh, Thank you for forwarding that video. I mean, you know what's funny is that when when someone is chasing down, because I didn't, I never videoed legislators that I had conversations with in Springfield and I kind of wish I had yeah
1: I I really do think so. We got this uh, video. We got video uh, from an organization, news organization called The Rooster. There is, as you know, the Tennessee hauler. And I think for all of the collapse of local newsrooms that you're seeing individual people Mm -hmm. going and are are being dogged and are asking a really tough question, like someone uh, like Bill Dean should be asked after Mm -hmm. he voted against closing the spousal rape exception in Ohio law. They're asking tough questions and they're pressing these people and they're following them through the halls. Right. And you don't really see a lot of that in state legislatures because newsrooms don't have the resources. And If they do, they're polite and they're respecting their sources and want to maintain a relationship. And some of these folks, to their credit, are just like, no, I'm just going to ask you, why did you just vote that way? That's disgusting.
3: Yeah. Right out of the gate, and and he's like, "No one cares." He said, "No one cares." The person uh, videotaping him was like, "What about your voters?" And he's like, "Why don't you go ask?" I mean, just the most dismissive. I mean, the thing I wished it was that out of the gate to be like, just say it it's okay for a husband to rape his wife because it takes a while to get there like once they're already out the building. But I don't know if he was like didn't know when to like be aggressive. Right. Uh, And and there are different look there
1: are different there's I don't think there is a necessarily wrong way to come at this issue. Right. I mean sorry not the issue but the questioning the pushing of this person. Right. So we initially saw a USA Today reporter uh, who is at the state house reporting on this and we just got text of it. Right. There wasn't video they did. They were not a reporter who's capturing what he saying and they pressed him on it and his answer was quote i personally don't believe that a man if he's married and has physical relations with his wife that can be considered rape so it's a different statement same sentiment than we got from the guy who runs the rooster chasing him through the hallway with a video camera in his face where he says that's a great vote somebody had to vote no yeah who cares you know and both of those are appalling but it is a it is important to press on multiple fronts to get an answer to something as appalling as that vote. And it's also valuable, I think, to see it in different formats. It has it hits very differently and it hits bad either way. Yes. But it hits differently when you see him on video laughing. Yeah. Walking away, saying, who cares? And, and so again, just to the point of of folks who are who go to their state houses who uh, are citizen journalists, they do us a, a huge service.
3: Yeah, because I thought when I first saw you post the so, folks, when, when if you've never been to your state capital, wherever you live, first of all, I highly recommend that you visit. Watch how the sausage is made. I guess is the the saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm a dork. I love sitting in the chambers and listening to debates. At first, I thought maybe he just mistakenly pushed that button, and then with Going to be like, and then, but but when they do that, they can uh, uh, retroactively say that wasn't the way I wanted to vote. So he had an opportunity to change his vote for the record. But no, he wanted to be on the record. When he says somebody had to vote no, that is often the Republican mentality, isn't it? It Somebody had to vote against something that, you know, could challenge my my conservative constituents, uh, you know. Yeah. Place on this.
1: And he... Look, this is also a guy, as we keep an eye on state legislatures, this is a guy, I'm like, why do I know this name? Why do I know Bill Dean from Ohio? And and obviously, someone who's going to vote against this type of bill, well, it's because... Uh, about a month ago, we were watching another hearing in Ohio, and this is in a committee, and they are debating an anti-trans bathroom bill. And he said he knows why, quote, men want to go into the women's restroom. Oh. quote I know, because I'm a man. It's that they're a bunch of perverts. So just to give you a gauge of who this person is, it is it's 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 it's, uh, it's these people. uh Once you've been doing this for a couple years like we have, it's like, okay, yeah, that guy in Ohio, that guy in Missouri, that guy in Kentucky, uh, they tend to be guys and um you know it's it's not just him though there are there are a lot of uh, legislators in the state house particularly in ohio that have caught our attention um there's a state representative there known as uh mean jean uh who she is someone who sponsored uh the don't say gay bill in ohio she is someone who said i don't remember I don't know if you remember the viral video of her saying well you need to take a, a rape that happens and turn it into a miracle it's right. actually if a it's actually a blessing yeah that that's the type of person that we watch for because they they don't get as much coverage. Right, they sh- it, it, it is the, it is the most extreme version of what you see in party politics in, in the Republican Party. But because they're at state level, people don't pay attention to them. But those laws arguably have a bigger impact on your life mm-hmm. than you know funding that's getting passed through Congress. I'm not saying don't care about Congress. But it has a huge impact on how you live your life.
3: I don't know if you caught the story yesterday that Dan Schaefer was talking about uh, yes. Robin
1: Voss, the speaker, yes. going.
3: They had a special session. And you had Schaefer and
1: Schaefer. That was exciting. It was a kind of <laughs> and that should be a thing.
3: Schaefer and Schaefer. Well, I'll have uh, Dan Schaefer and Megan fill in for me on a Tuesday sometime <laughs> so they can have Dan Schaefer and uh, just have a fun uh, just <laughs> panel that way. But but uh, speaker, Va- the speaker Robin Voss was out of the country. He was at a conference in Brazil, of all places. Right. Where are
1: the photos? That's my question. Where are the photos? I know he's down there, you know, lounging on a beach or something like that. Where are the photos, Mm -hmm. people? Listeners, I need you to go through social media. Find me, Robin Voss, in Brazil, on behalf of myself as well as Dan Schaefer. Uh, one of the Dan Schafer's <laughs> at WCPT. Uh,
3: I, I just, the whole idea of when there's funding, I'm sure that if it had been an abortion vote, he would have been, present and right. and working, I mean, working very hard to impact people's lives in a, in a way that uh, is irreparable. I mean, because I don't think we're capturing just because someone said after Ukraine and or in the midst of, of the war in Ukraine and now in the middle, we're, you know, all grappling with uh, where we stand on things globally uh, in the war in the Middle East. Um, you know, you're not hearing about and we know that it's happening. You're not hearing about women who are being forced to make the choice between continuing, uh, you know, carrying being basically a mausoleum for mm-hmm. a fetus that is already dead because they can't have a, an an abortion because that's considered ev- evacuating the I'm sorry to be so specific but um we know that in Idaho they're going now they're going to the Supreme Court with penalizing doctors which I've said all along that The 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 depths to which I believe the right-wing conservatives the extremists are willing to go and people hate that I say this there is nothing to stop them if they if they, if, if Trump takes over there's nothing to stop them from saying because they believe that abortion is murder so by going after women who've had abortions and prosecuting them for murder and not and, and there is no such such, such limitations on murder right? People are like, yeah, but it wasn't legal. That, But if they believe that it was murder all the way back for every woman who's alive that's ever had an abortion, I mean, this is, I know that it it sounds conspiracy and and like I've watched too many episodes of The the Handmaid's Tale, but if we're already talking about restricting women's travel, penalizing, putting bounties on people's head Mm -hmm. who help a woman in in the event of having an abortion, this is is the path that we're going down.
1: It's also something that Donald Trump explicitly said when he was running for president the first time. Mm -hmm. There has to be some punishment for the woman.
3: And the thing is it doesn't even matter what he says. It's all the people that want him to be in office because they were able to fulfill their wishes and dreams. The what of the Heritage Foundation and the Federalist Society got their Supreme Court justices for the sole purpose of eliminating Ro, Roe v. Wade. Yeah. So it doesn't even matter what he says. It's the people behind him that are are really the danger. And those
1: people are still there. Yeah. And they are planning for 2025. Yep. And the uh, blueprint that they are putting together looks scarier than ever. Mm -hmm. It is such a banal... Uh, you know, mechanistic point. But if you are going to eliminate a bunch of career civil servants and replace them with people who are loyal to you because they are the quote unquote deep state, which really just means they're the people that make the government work. Right. Um, that's incredibly dangerous. We've never had anything like that. In our history, and for all of Republicans railing against the administrative state and these unelected bureaucrats, you're going to bring in people who are supposed to have technical expertise to run programs to help people, and their primary concern is whether or not you're loyal to the president. That's the world that we want to live in. Exactly. I mean, that to me worries me the most about if Donald Trump were reelected, would he ever leave? Why would he? he he if he can if he can rebuild an entire state apparatus of people who are loyal to him, right, how would you possibly get him out at the end of a second term right?
3: We have Putin Netanyahu, we have you know places in the world where this is what the the energy seems to be geared towards is absolute power and and we see how that's affecting Ukraine and Palestine, yeah and israel it's scary and russia it's' I, 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 we're not you know being extreme here in this conversation. Yeah.
1: And people, I, it's just like people got to wake up. I know I know we're a ways out. I know we're just under a year to go. Um, but I will say that what's worrying me a little bit is... We're seeing a lot of third party candidates saying, I'm going to run, I'm going to run. And that always is bad news for an incumbent. Now, there's some polling that shows that maybe RFK Jr., you know, uh, pulls more people away from Trump than he does Biden. Uh, But, you know, I will just say conversations over Thanksgiving with my less plugged in uh, relatives who don't live in the day to day news cycle. And they tend to be more, quote unquote, independent and they're a little center right, if anything, Mm -hmm. are showing some interest in just I don't want to vote for Biden again or I didn't vote for Biden again, but I don't want to vote for Trump. So I'm going to go vote for a third party. And that is I know people want to slam their head against the wall when they hear it. But a a vote for any of those third parties is a vote
3: for Trump. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're hanging out with Tim Hogan. Can you stay for another segment? Yeah. Excellent. we hanging out with Tim Hogan, the executive, news di- the executive director, the uh, editor-in-chief, I don't know, all the things yeah. for the Heartland Signal newsroom. Follow him, Tim Hogan, on Twitter, as well as Heartland Signal uh, on all social media platforms. So you can stay up to date on so many news stories that affect us every single day. And uh, we started out talking about Ohio. Let's see what uh, – I want to talk about um, – I want to talk about twitter actually when we come back cuz i know you and i you know we can't play
1: that elon musk sound clip that uh, just just happened was there a sound He would get he would get bleeped he he i was asked at uh, i think the new york times dealbook conference if he has a message for his advertisers that have left and uh really the uh the acronym is i believe gfy was his answer.
3: Well, yeah. I mean, it's nice to be a billionaire. Before <laughs> we run into the break, let's, I want to thank our sponsors, uh, Minacqua Brewing Company. Of course, our good friend, Kirk Banks, said, fighting a good fight in uh, the deep red parts of Wisconsin and selling great beer and merchandise. Go to the website. Go to the Facebook page and follow his story, Monaqua Brewing Company. Also on the Patty Vasquez Show page, you can see pinned there right at the top of my page, the locations where you can pick it up Monaqua Brews in your area. And uh, I love the choice seltzer. I just do. And I've got wine now too. So, yeah. And Woke Coffee. want to thank our friend Warren Price at European Collision Center over at 4080 North Broadway. That's European U.S. Collision Center. 4080 North Broadway. The phone number is 773-248-1200. And please visit kidsaboveall.org. They are in the middle of their big fundraising their big fundraising push to make sure that kids have all the toys and wonderful surprises during this holiday season. More in a moment on WCPTA 20 Heartland Signal.
2: You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on
4: WCPT 820.
3: Thank you so much for joining us as we drive it home until seven o'clock. And if you are starting to lose the signal as it gets darker into the uh, the colder days of winter, please uh, please consider listening to us online. You can go to the Patty Vasquez Show page on Facebook and the WCPT Facebook page. We live stream there tomorrow. We I don't think we're live streaming uh, visually tomorrow. I'll be broadcasting from the National Museum of Mexican Art. There's an event that I want to highlight tomorrow, so I'll be broadcasting there, and I uh, will still. Have our phone lines open from five to five thirty, and then I'm going to be uh, interviewing some folks who are doing amazing grassroots efforts in Pilsen uh, to help young people and uh, it, it really find a way to make sure that they are safe and healthy. And we'll have those conversations tomorrow. Uh, we also uh, we want uh, well, I'll talk about this a little bit uh, as we get closer. But I will be uh, broadcasting a little bit earlier in Minneapolis, Saint Paul at nine o'clock. So for our friends who listen online, uh, you'll get to hear that show a little bit earlier and. Uh, uh, we have so many new things to uh, to talk about, so I'm excited as we talk about those things in the coming days. Let's uh, take a phone call from Jim in Chicago. Hey, my friend. How are you doing today, Jim? Hi,
4: Patty. I was thinking about the New Deal. Harry Hopkins, who was a, uh, had the purity of St. Francis in the county of a racetrack, count. he used to take it. He was. He ran the, the New Deal. He used to take him out to the racetrack and then give them the the dope out there, you know, what they were going to run. But I was thinking about the WPA, the writers uh, who got stipends to write. You know, when you hear about these poor writers today, how many great writers came out of that by the government, uh, you know, between in tandem with the work programs. This is a writer's program. I mean, Steinbeck, I can go on and on. I mean, uh, just hundreds and hundreds of great authors uh, who were, Nelson Elgren, who was... uh, no, we're, we're, it would have never been heard from if they didn't get uh, government money. And uh, I think if Biden was elected again, I think something like that should be uh, thought about. They should—I'm uh, sure there are some great writers out there that can't get traction. And uh, I know we need an infuse of uh, other ideas because. Uh, this is really getting stale. I don't know. What do you think, Patty?
3: Uh, I'm trying to. So I, 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 I think that we have so many more voices that need to be heard, and uh, and it is getting stale. I I really don't know what the what the answer is.
4: Well, it, 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 but if you subsidize them, uh, where they were given a you know a. a you know, it's the work program right. because that's what that's what that's what Harry Hopkins said to, to Roosevelt. He said, "Remember, they need a job. They need the job. They need the job for their dignity. They need the job for their." to their pulse of their day and so on and so forth we don't, I was rather thinking, than release. This
3: was, and the, right, and this was the thing that I think that there were there were conversations about this early in the uh, Obama administration after the, the collapse of the housing market in 2008. Sure, after, sure, yeah, and sure Republican, after the Great Recession. Yeah, the Republican, well, and, and there was a window when I think Obama could have accomplished more and for whatever reason, whether it was his advisors or not wanting to push too hard, uh, where I think we had a window of opportunity to get that done amongst other things. Uh, and I think that without it being an actual New Deal, I think the infrastructure and the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022, without it being the work project, because the works project under Roosevelt was also in the arts. You know, that's how we have the Tennessee Valley project. That's how we have uh, the, you know, the Hoover, Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, even though the Hoover Dam was started under obviously Hoover's administration, it was something that was completed under Roosevelt. And so many of the advances that we enjoy now were because of the New Deal. But there, you know, there's so much more, you know, one, there's a lot more information that travels or misinformation that travels quickly, and a resistance to doing anything that might help people and have lasting results. I don't know how. I don't know what the answer is.
4: No, I don't either. But uh, I mean, we we have to use our imaginations. I mean, we're stuck. You know, when people talk right and left, I feel like I'm in a car and there's a, a person in the back seat going right, left, right, left. In other words, you know, I'm going to smash into a, into a brick wall. I keep hearing that right, and left. I mean, that's been going on for hundreds of years. Is right and left nonsense. We have to get out of this and and get into the uh, 21st century and look at it like... uh you know uh, just move civilization forward <laughs>
3: for well, no, you're J- Jim. but was so it was a it was yes. the sa- look it's the same I think one of the big differences right now is what one of the big successes under Roosevelt was how the wealthiest and corporations were taxed and we have brought that down so much that they've been able to consolidate so much more power because at the time the new Deal was resisted by the wealthy and the and the conservative segments of the country right and calling them so socialists and they sure. they they had moderate success obviously we were fortunate that we were able to push for push back on that because otherwise world war II would have had just much more horrific uh results real, for the united states real
4: quick real real quick Patty. He, he used to say he originally used to say i'm having lunch and grilled millionaire today <laughs> and if you don't like if you don't like today it's billionaire unfortunately now it's billionaires you know it used to be millionaires but now it's billionaires and he'd say uh Oh, uh, my friends, uh, my wealthy friends aren't going to go for this. And I say, to you. I mean, in other words, no, Roosevelt was, the, you know, the greatest president of my city. But I think Biden is close on his tail. And I'm not just using that as a hyperbole. I really mean it. I think that Biden, given four more years, I think he could uh, give uh, Roosevelt a run for his money. Anyway, Peggy, thank you very much, dear. Thank
3: you. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, Jim. Yeah, and I think that's a lot of a, a lot of what stalls progress is the is fear fear is a big part of that uh, and and I, and I don't mean just like progress in the sense of technologically I mean progress in the sense of expanding the kind of services and the safety net or the the guidelines and, and regulations that make sure that people get paid so that they can have a living wage uh, you know control housing prices and and that and by that you know property taxes are such a burden for folks uh, you know people who've even paid off their homes, and and maybe they, you know, drew a uh, a loan on that house or have paid it off, and, and figured, you know, now I all I have to do, worry about are the is the insurance and the property taxes and upkeep, and find themselves uh, in a in a lot of uh, financial stress. Uh, so I think that you know the idea and and to Jim's point about the New Deal, uh, there was. There was a lot of resistance from big businesses, from corporations, from the wealthy. They didn't want to help workers because when you have workers who are in distress, they'll take anything. Think about it. I mean, think of that because when we spend our paychecks, we pretty much spend it all. I mean, maybe I've got listeners who uh, are making passive income off of investments and offshore accounts. Uh, maybe you're able to like decide, you know, upgrade your yachts uh, or put that money towards uh, some fun toys. I don't know. I, I just don't think that most. I don't think there's any listener out there that's thinking about putting a rocket into space like Elon and uh, who are, I can never remember the the guy who owns Virgin. But those and Jeff Bezos uh, with Amazon. Uh, you know, for the most part, we we you know we 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 tend to uh or many people have a job so that they have insurance so that it can pay their bills, buy food, take care of their families. And that's, that's the extent of it. Maybe if you're lucky, you can put money away for your co- your kid's college fund or for a retirement fund. Um, but the, the pandemic, on top of everything else, has exacerbated our ability to put money away so that we aren't living paycheck to paycheck and know that we'll have something there. We're living longer, uh, and yet that comes at the cost of paying so much for health insurance. And there, the people are resistant, and they, you know, they, they take these catchphrases of socialism and communists. Uh, you know, that was something that was floated around when uh, when Franklin Roosevelt was trying to pass the New Deal, and it took a lot of negotiations. There were he wanted to do more, and uh, did the best that he could under the circumstances. And one of the big things that led us out of the Great Depression was being able to put so many people to work out of necessity during the war. You had factories. That were perhaps making items for uh, for you know for sale, and now had to be converted into places where they were making planes and equ- military equipment, uh, artillery. You also had an opportunity for more women to enter enter the workforce, uh, more people of color who were participating in uh, in the military, and uh, still there facing a lot of uh, a lot of resistance to integrating the the armed forces. And coming out of the uh, out of World War II, when you have the GI Bill. I mean, that's where we see a lot of uh, the construction of these, uh, you know, uh, the like the cul-de-sac communities, the su- suburban communities and, you know, all the similar. Uh, what do they like? Not developments, but, you know, the su- suburbs had all these like that image in Back to the Future where, you know, Marty McFly goes back to, uh, you know, when his parents were, were dating and or, you know, when they were kids. And you see that the, the, the property where his home eventually will be, and that's in the 1950s. Uh, and that's you know I can't remember like those housing those suburban housing developments where they have these you know cool little nicknames. Um, that's where that that all comes out of the progress of the New Deal and uh, the the efforts of World War Two. And then you have you know President Kennedy was was the first uh, who actually lowered the cost of taxes for the wealthiest, brought it down to about seventy five percent. Prior to that, one of the big reasons we were able to make sure that people could have a home, could have an education, and and still disproportionately for white people and as far as jobs went for white men, uh, there there was at least a path. We were moving in the right direction. I think that you 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 see the extreme disparities, and I don't know why we aren't uh, able to – energize folks, to recognize. And I think we are, I mean, a big part of the labor movement this year, whether it's the UAW or UPS, uh, SAG-AFTRA and the WGA, uh, we are all pushing back and saying, look, the extreme and obscene wealth that is being consolidated at the top at the expense of the labor that produces the product cannot continue. And that that energy needs to, to, to spread. And it is not, it is not at all, even on the radar of Republicans, show me, show me where, uh, you know, President, former Trump, former President Trump showed up at a non-union shop. Right. And sure, some of the conservatives will show up, uh, you know, at an event and be like, no, I support you guys. Uh, but from my experience and in my opinion, uh, Republicans do not support the efforts and the the, the, the true efforts. Uh, energy that goes into being a laborer uh, of what it is. Look, you know, we we see these uh, these electeds, you know, talking about how in Wisconsin there was an elected who said, you know, people should should just pay for their own health care. Okay, (laughs) how is that? How? how, how, Tell us how that how that's going to work without affordable care. And we see now that the former President Trump wants to eliminate that if he wins again. And this is a guy who said when he ran the last time, he was going to eliminate the Affordable Care Act and put in something beautiful, something new and beautiful. So, so what happened? Nothing. There was never, the Republicans have never, ever been able to provide at the federal level an answer to how do we make sure people have affordable health care? Not once. And if I'm wrong, prove it to me. Send me, send me a link to, to, to disprove what I just said. Because I, I have not seen it, let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation. The number is seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight. That's the number to call or text and join our conversation anytime on WCPT eight twenty Heartland Signal.
5: Hi, this is Kirk Bankstead from the Minocqua Brewing Company, and I sell Choice Hard Seltzer, an all-natural grapefruit-flavored booze that you can enjoy for only 100 calories a can. Percentage of the proceeds of every can of Choice Hard Seltzer you buy goes to reproductive rights organizations in the Chicagoland area. Enjoy a light, refreshing hard seltzer this summer and support reproductive freedom at the same time.
3: Buy yours at Beer on the Wall, Arlington Heights, Woodman's in Bloomingdale, Kenwood Liquors in Homer Glen, and more to come. Must be 21? Please drink responsibly.
4: Patty Vasquez is taking your calls now at 773-763-9278. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez now on WCPT 820.
3: Uh, Catching up on some texts, and I want to apologize to the texter from the 773. Uh, Of course, some of you who text from the 773 are like, is that me? Uh, Yesterday, they just texted a little bit ago uh, about how I was mentioning that uh, perhaps the massive pushback when people would correct somebody grammatically online or their grammar, you know, when, when you use your and your Y-O-U-R and Y-O-U-R-E and then and then and things like that, Uh, I was telling Tim Hogan, our news director for Heartland Signal, that I wonder if all that was the precursor, sort of the prepping us, you know, intellectually, neurologically to catch uh, so that we don't care about when a sentence is properly formulated in, you know, professional publications because of AI generation. So if you don't care, if, whether it's texting or tweeting, whatever on social media, if you start to not care about how people formulate their thoughts and put it together, it's, I, I, I use commas in my in my texts and tweets. I send my colons and colons. I try to use all that properly. I was a big dork in grade school. I loved Diagramming sentences. I love my favorites is that, cur- that little curve line where you put a gerund because it's a it's a passive verb, and you know when you have your you make sure you have your article, your verb, your nouns. You know what what are your adverbs and, and uh, adjectives? Um, and I will say, I know for folks like me who um, you know love. Breaking down a sentence or catching when uh, something is uh, is inact is incorrect. Uh, again, I'm a dork, and I try. I, I've tried. It's very hard not to sound haughty on social media, um, you know. And, and a lot of times, people will still use it as like a you know I'm not going to take this post seriously because you've got a grammatical error, a grammar area error. So I don't even know. Like talking, I'm probably worse than I'm writing. Anyway. Um, the uh the texter says uh thinking the whole grammar Nazi thing was played up intentionally to provide cover for non-English speaking trolls and bots. Another, that's absolutely a good point. So, uh, you know, bots, trolls, and artificial intelligence. Uh, so if you lower your standards for proper grammar, uh, then you're less likely to care uh, what the source is. So I'm just, I'm not saying we need to gear up our uh, our grammar police uh, equipment. I'm just saying. I, I think that the, we lowered our expectations when it comes to how we write a sentence. But also from the seventh seven three, I want to uh, catch up on some texts that you <laughs> that you posted yesterday. I, I um. I mentioned with our good friends uh, Dan Schaefer and Megan Kelly, who host Politini* on Sunday mornings, uh, and I, the look on their faces was kind of sad, Alejandro. This is kind of sad. I said that uh, I have more behind me than I do ahead of me in life. I'm, I'm 52, which is, I mean, that's that's middle age. Uh, unless I live to be 104, which is not, But I mean, I better take a lot better care of myself. But, you know, I'm thinking, I think about a lot of things. One, to make sure that my son Declan has the care that he needs. So I, I have to be realistic about what my future is, how we're going to retire and things like that. As I get older, uh, you know, what's going to be safest for us? And so I know that that sounded a little bit—I uh, it, it, I actually saw it in the movie— um it caught my breath. It took my breath away. It's a years ago, but it was a movie called Safe House with Denzel Washington and Ryan Ryan Reynolds, and it was what Denzel Washington says, like you know, uh, it's not, not. It's too late for dreams, but like he has more memories than he has more memories of his life than he does of dreams for his life ahead of him. I still have my dreams. do you want to jump in alejandro do i sound crazy you know your microphone works in there if you want to if you want to share your thoughts on that does it sound too dark to say something like that like i have more behind me than i do ahead of me it's just or it's just realistic i don't know if your mic is on it's a new thing that we are playing around with here you're like where does that go oh here you go can you hear me yes i can oh okay (laughs) is that exciting yeah, you know what I need though is some headphones. I'll be right back. <laughs> oh, because when you turn that on, you can't hear me anymore. I'll oh, see what happens. This was one of my requests. They asked me what I wanted in the studio, and I said I wanted the ability to talk to the producers because they're behind the glass, and I'll, and uh, sometimes they'll join me, and sometimes they've got a lot of, a lot to ke- like to work on during the show. Um, and of course, I know I keep uh, the producers on their toes. Let me see what the other. Um uh, let me see if there. Uh, so anyway, to that point, the texture from the 773 yesterday said, you'll live to, to 110 and like it. <laughs> okay. I mean, as long as there's still good movies and television, uh, I guess, and some good books to read. I, I don't know. I mean, there, there are folks who, who live vibrantly. There's no headphones for you. Anyway, so that's that was my uh, that was my take yesterday, and I think people thought that was a little. I know it's a little dark, but there are moments when I just have to be realistic. Uh, and one of the things that I ran on when I was uh, uh, I was in a, I was a candidate to be the House Rep for the 19th District uh, in Illinois. Um, I was telling uh, some folks from different organizations that I work with. Uh, I work with uh, my friends over at Little City who do incredible um, just programs for I- individuals with. developmental disabilities, uh, housing and and community support services, employment. Um, But I was telling them that, you know, when I ran, I was talking to Congresswoman Marie Newman, who is now the executive director at Little City. I was telling her that um, I would tell folks that, look, the, the truth is that parents like me, uh, parents like me and Steve, you know, we try not to think about it. We don't uh, latch on to it. We don't dwell on it. But I, I'm worried. I'm, af- I'm afraid to die first um, because I don't know how Declan will be cared for when I'm gone. And and I was talking to uh, Marie Newman about, you know, care for um, individuals with uh, disabilities who are in their 60s and 70s. And like, I have to make sure that I do everything I can. And, and the reason I ran for state rep was I, I want to make sure that people have. Of what they need because you know folks will say oh yeah of course we should take care of seniors and individuals with disabilities yet we are so far behind almost everybody in the country. We are 49th in the country. So my goal in running for office was, look, if we're doing everything else right, then we can truly put our money where, our, where we say our priorities are for kids education, for senior services, to make sure veterans have what they need. And, and still we continue. Uh, and, you know, when we have a crisis, like the migrants coming here, when we have individuals with disabilities who go under, underrepresented and under, uh, evaluated and making sure they have the supports that they need, um, um, we, we continue to, to uh, not do our best that we possibly can. Uh, so that's why I, I, I have to be realistic about where I am in life and, uh, and take care of both of my sons so that it's not a, a burden to Griffin as he gets older and, and does what he wants to do in life. And, and Declan can be happy and healthy and safe and do all the things that his heart desires. So let's take a break here. And uh, when we come back, uh, I'm really excited about our next guest. Uh, I grew up in a family of, of Catholics uh and my in-laws were all Catholics and all all of my, everyone that I grew up with uh that were in the Catholic faith were all pro-choice so I'm really excited to uh, to talk to our next guest um and we're going to talk about uh the um the idea that your your religion well I want to talk about that when we come back with JB Manson who is the president of Catholics for choice more after this on wcpt820 heartland signal
2: driving it home Paddy baskets,
0: From global conflicts to greenhouse gases. The folks refusing to wear masks
1: says. And politicians getting caught grabbing ass says. She's driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Vasquez.
3: I am very excited to bring up our next guest. I, I've done some uh, some reading about the work that they do, and I had no idea that Catholics Catholics for Choice has been around for decades. And joining us right now is Jamie is Jamie Manson, who is uh, tell us your title over there. Jamie is the president of the Catholics I for am, Choice. I am. Yeah. Yes, I am president, Patty. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you so much. So, this is this is something that I know. Uh, let's let me just focus on on really one thing, which I think covers a lot of the topics that will you and I will have a longer conversation about later. But I want to talk about conscience because a lot of mm-hmm. folks say that my religion doesn't let me do this, or the Bible says I can't do this. I want to focus on the idea that we have a conscience that is is in, is imbued in us by the Creator, isn't it?
6: Mm-hmm, absolutely, yeah, I think one thing that 's really important for people to note is there actually is nothing about abortion in the Bible, um, and so that 's really important for people to understand and The second thing is there are thirty mentions of conscience in the New Testament alone, uh, and so what conscience means is that God gives us the gift of reason uh, to to use it um, to discern uh, complex moral issues, and the catechism the Catholic catechism, which is the official teaching of the church says very explicitly in all that we say and do, our personal conscience must ultimately be the final decision maker in all moral decisions.
3: And that's what I struggle with so much because, again, you know, I, I did, I did not necessarily grow up in a in a, in a Catholic uh, household. Believe it or not, Irish Mexican, uh, not Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> Remarkable. Uh, it, well, my, my well, it's a long story. Again, for our longer conversation, another time. But again, like we have listeners that are tuning in specifically for this conversation today, who say that it's morally wrong, and but that's <laughs> this is something I, I grapple with all the time. It's like who. Whose morals? It's the idea of, you know, my, my son, even at a young age, would hear these signs about whether it was uh, gay marriage or abortion. And he would say, if you don't believe in gay marriage, don't get gay married. And it's the same thing for, you know, imp- the idea of imposing your morals on somebody else. What does the, the Bible say about imposing morals on p- other people?
6: Well, I, you know, I, I don't think um, the Bible itself says much, but I will tell you that Catholic theology supports religious pluralism. And so the the separation of church and state, this notion of religious freedom, guarantees my right, yes, to practice my faith, but it also guarantees the right for me to be free of the religious beliefs of others. And what we're seeing happening with abortion bans and restrictions is a Catholic understanding of when life begins, being codified into law. So you have theology being codified into law. And that's problematic for a lot of reasons. First, it violates everyone else's religious freedom, you know, whose religion or no religion doesn't agree with that. Um, But, you know, it's also really important to note that the majority of Catholics actually don't agree with the Church's position on abortion. And 63% of Catholics think abortion should be legal in all or most cases. And only 8% of Catholics in the U.S. support the bishop's position, that there are no instances in which you can have an abortion, including sexual assault and life of the mother. And so um, you have this this very radical, rigid understanding of teaching on abortion that the Catholic Church is putting out that most Catholics don't agree with that is then being codified into civil law and then taking away the religious freedom of others.
3: It, it is. It's, it's mind boggling to me because this was not necessarily uh, a religious uh, sort of banner to carry prior to, uh, you know, even in the early 1900s. It, it, and of course, you know, things are accelerated when we have media, first radio and television and now social media. And and sort of, uh, you know, I, I hate saying forcing, but imposing, again, other people's uh, religious morals or interpretation. And that's the thing I, I struggle with, too, is. Uh, you know, and people seem to cherry pick the Bible, and, and I and, mm-hmm. and I have a hard time with that when people say, you know, well Christ says this or the Bible says, you know, uh, the idea that uh, I think it. What's the, what's the biggest one that folks use is I knew you before you were born. That's
6: what's often uh-huh. used, isn't it? Sure, it is. But the Bible is not the rule of law in the United States of America. And, then to, and to make it so is a violation of religious freedom, which we are guaranteed in the Constitution. And that's the fundamental problem with these abortion bans and restrictions. You know Jesus Christ is not the head of this country. um you know and so that that's that's where things are getting very, very uh, dicey, quite honestly, because there are you know right wing Republicans that have theocratic aims that would like to see a theocracy established in this country, um, and they are using issues like abortion. To exploit, you know, um, uh, they're they're using abortion to exploit, um, you know, the the minds and hearts of people when, in fact, their aim is a much more nefarious agenda, uh, which means taking away voting rights, you know, taking away democracy. It, it is, it has been something I have
3: struggled with for, for years. I, I had a, a, a very uh, devout Catholic friend that uh, I used to, I was a lifeguard at the university of Illinois and we used to get into big arguments. Uh, and I, and I was just taking it back because I had, I hadn't really, you know, I was 18 and had not you know, really come across somebody who felt that, <laughs> that yeah. um, very uh, forceful really about it. I mean, we yeah. I mean, we, we came to yelling at each other and I thought, mm-hmm. you know, then, then don't, you know, don't be in a situation where you have to make this choice. That's the other thing, too, mm-hmm. because you also support access to birth control, correct?
6: Correct. And that is something, you know, the Catholic Church still bans all forms of artificial contraception. Uh, and so there's something very unseemly about being radically opposed to contraceptive and abortion, because what they're essentially saying is, um, you know, that sex is sinful and that all acts of sex should be open to the possibility of getting pregnant. And, you know, the the irony is you have the men, all of these teachings have been developed not only by an all-male leadership, but an all-male leadership that is ostensibly celibate, meaning that they do not have wives, they do not have daughters, they have no inroads into the lives of women, and yet they are creating doctrines that are causing profound harm, if not death itself, to women. Um, And the fact is, you know, one in four abortion patients in the United States identifies as Catholic. So Catholic women who are participating richly in the life of the church are having abortions, and they're having to hear from priests and bishops that they are complicit in homicide. And there's a real pastoral violence going on, you know, with this teaching.
3: And we saw in Illinois, and someone sent, again, another, uh, like a, a screenshot of priests who refused to, uh, to deliver communion to electeds who voted for, oh. right, again, like sort of trying to emotionally manipulate their own parishioners, Right.
6: Absolutely. And so this happened to Senator Dick Durbin in Illinois. Um, recently, uh, former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi was told by her archbishop, who's very right wing, uh, that she could not receive communion in her home diocese. And of course, when President Biden was elected, you know, the U.S. bishops, the day the election was called, told them that, told him that he was creating moral confusion and tried to create a doctrine where they could deny him communion. Pope Francis himself said, I have never denied anyone communion. Do you have U.S. bishops going really rogue about this? What this ultimately means is you are taking something that is so sacred, the central sacrament of our faith, and using it as a weapon, a tool of political intimidation. So what does that say about the value that priests and bishops place on their own sacraments? when that is how you abuse abuse the power of it exactly I, uh, I
3: and I know that we have a, a small amount of time but I'm so grateful for your for your expertise uh, for your generosity of time uh, I do want to tell you I have uh, I don't think I talk about this very often on the show I have an aunt my my uh, <laughs> I have an aunt who is a nun my aunt Arlene uh, has been uh, yeah. she, she's uh, I believe she's like she's in her 80s now and still serving and she has been pro-choice uh, I'm married to a wonderful man whose family was very uh, proactive in California Catholics for Choice as well. Um, and so that's sort of been the universe that I have known. Uh, and then, so like I said, getting older and, and seeing this sort of massive pushback under the guise of it's in the, under the banner of Christ is, is very hard to grapple mm-hmm. with. And I'm grateful for the work that you do and your insight that you share. Uh, where can folks go to learn more information about uh, Catholics for Choice?
6: Absolutely. They can go to Um It's actually that simple. And one thing we try to do is we like to admit that this is a morally complex issue for people, especially Catholics, who have been heard, you know, have been, you know, victimized by misinformation, you know, manufactured imagery, you know, shame and stigma. And so it's really important to honor where people are with the issue and take that as a place to engage and encounter them and educate them. And that's really our mission is not to create stigma. If you feel like this is a morally complex issue, we want to say, come in, you know, you won't be judged here. We will give you space to discern, and we will give you the information, you, you, you know, you need to have a moral discernment. And so I think that's really important. We try to build on common values. So if you go to CatholicsForChoice.org/pledge, you can actually sign a pledge that builds on common values that we can all agree on, even if we think abortion is a morally complex issue.
3: Exactly. Well, I, I look forward to uh, further conversations with you, and uh, and we'll we'll Thank expand you. on that. And I'm sure that there are people who want to call. One one listener said they wanted to get a burner phone. So, and I'm not <laughs> sure why. I, I mean, we don't track anybody down. <laughs> right. But,
6: but, they, but you know, yeah. yeah, that speaks, Patty, to the stigma we have a lot of Catholics who are pro-choice who come to us and say, I have to be silent. I have to, I can lose my family. I can lose my ministry. I can lose my parish because of this issue. And so we have so many Catholics that we try to help just figure out how they can come out. As a pro-choice Catholic, and I, so I understand the burner phone. It makes total sense, and that shows you the, the 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 power of the stigma the Catholic Church has placed on this issue. All the while, so many Catholic women are having abortions and having to sit in shame and silence.
3: I I agree. Would you be up for just a couple more minutes? There's a, a listener who wants to ask a question. Would you be up for that? Sure. You sure? Okay. Sure. Let's it's, do uh, it. It's yeah. John, John from Hammond, Indiana. Uh, John, what's on your mind, my friend?
0: Hi. Uh, wow. What a topic. And uh, I appreciate the candidness, you know, as a, as a cradle Catholic myself, you know, um, you know, A, there's no sex education, okay? Uh, secondly, nobody talks about the responsibility of the men who impregnate women. You know, okay, you, wanna, uh, you, you don't want to kill babies? All right, well, then if you're going to go around impregnating women, then how about you get castrated in, okay? Thanks. Uh, yeah, exactly and and uh, i mean a couple other things one is um you know for for example prostitution you know when are, when is this country going to grow up and legalize prostitution um like they have in europe and in other countries i'm sorry to say but if men have to you know perform this act then uh, then let's let's legalize prostitution give those uh you know you know give them uh, benefits and health care and the whole nine yards i mean i don't know and lastly, I want to point out that I lived for 43 years next to a Carmelite nun orphanage in Hammond. They closed it down. Mm-hmm. but um, So that, prior to Roe v. Wade, and I'm 61, um, there were thousands of orphans. And it's happening again. I, I mean, there's unwanted children. Oh, you know, it's foster, foster care, foster care, and I get that. But th- that was the road that the Catholics took was we had the orphanages, you know, the Father Flanagan's of the world. Anyway, I just had to vent those points, and I appreciate you hearing me
3: out. (laughs) Uh, Absolutely, John. (laughs) Thank thank you. But I think you also allude to, like, the stigma of sex and the puritanical aspect that a lot of, uh, I think, the take can be, which, you know, there's a a lot of blaming women. I see on social media, like, well, Mm -hmm. that she shouldn't open her legs kind of a thing, too.
6: Oh, absolutely! Of- yeah, I mean, and you know, in Ireland there was this thing called the Magdalen Laundry, and when young women would get pregnant out of wedlock, they would be stuck basically, and they would be put into indentured servitude in these laundries that nuns would run as contractors for the Irish state. And it always and they would it was punishing. They would have their children taken away from them. There was a film called Philomena. That, that I kind of just started I watching that remember. yesterday. Judy Dench, yeah, yeah from
3: two thousand thirteen. Go yeah. ahead, sorry.
6: <laughs> it's all no, no, and it's all it's all true, and you know. There were no Magdalene laundries for men. You know, right. so men could get could get have the sex they wanted, get all these women pregnant and they, they got off cot free. You know, and so I think that this is a really important issue. And we need to include men in the reproductive freedom conversation, you know, and, and center their role. And I, I think I think John has a good point. The other the other point he makes that's actually I think, you know, really crucial that we don't talk about is that the Catholic Church runs many, many orphanages and, and foster homes in the United States and takes federal money to do it. And so, uh, you know, again, this is a bit unseemly, but they, they have a direct financial benefit from, you know, unwanted children. Yeah. And um, that's something we really need to wrestle with as well. We
3: have a lot to wrestle with. Well, you uh, take care of yourself and we will talk to you again very soon. Thank you for the work that you do and for sharing this information and having this conversation with us. Uh, we wish you the oh. very best. And again, it's uh, Catholicsforchoice.org. Is that correct?
6: Correct,
3: yes. Excellent. Thank you, Patty. Yes, pleasure. absolutely was. Take care. Let's uh, take a break here and we'll continue our conversation when we come back on WCPT 820. Heartland Signal, that was Jamie Manson, the president of Catholics for Choice.
5: Hi, folks. I'm Kirk Bankstead from the Monocle Brewing Company, and I sell progressive beer, like Biden beer, which is inoffensive and not bitter, and extinct elephant, a moderate ale. Because you know those moderate Republicans seem to be going the way of the dodo. A percentage of the proceeds of each can sold goes to keep Wisconsin blue and drive the MAGA cult out of our state. Enjoy a great craft beer and help your dysfunctional neighbor to the north get its democracy back to keep track of the good trouble we're making in wisconsin and where to buy our beer follow us on facebook instagram and our website monacobrewingcompany.com. brewing Company.com.
3: and drink responsibly
5: you're listening to
4: driving It home with patty Basket on wcpt 820
3: Man, I, uh, I'm i so sorry that uh, we couldn't have Jamie a little bit longer, but we will uh, have an extended conversation in the near future, just kind of uh, uh, catching up with her and meeting her today. But some of the texts coming in, um, why does the church focus on controlling female sexuality but not on men? Uh, good talk. Thank you, honey. That was my husband texting me. <laughs> I appreciate it. Also, from the, uh, from the 847, of the same Catholic church that has a sex, sex scandal still going on, on the same ones who support the death penalty, but God forbid they need an abortion. Uh, I'm, I thank you so much for sharing your story uh, and talking about this. And we have, um, oh, so 773 says somewhere the Speaker of the House is seething at this conversation. Not the only one. I'm sure some of our, our listeners who, uh, you know, it's hard because for me, I was telling my husband, I asked him to text me during that conversation because I didn't grow up in the Catholic Church. I grew up in a community with a, a strong Catholic presence. Uh, St. Tecla was my uh, parish in my neighborhood. I, I was not raised Catholic. For those who maybe haven't heard my story before, and for those who have, uh, please indulge me again. But my parents were both um, not practicing Catholics when I was born. They decided not to have um, having baptized. My father was raised in the Catholic Church and And his memories of growing up and and going to Catholic school were not terrific. Uh, a lot of uh, being hit, uh, being punished. Uh, he would tell me stories about having to hold his arms uh, in the, you know, basically like a, like the crucifix, uh, holding his arms out with his palms up while hold, holding books until he was so you know, and, and the thing was like, don't let them drop. He would get yelled at uh, if he let the books drop. He would get hit with, uh, with rulers. Um, Mom, I hope I'm not sharing too much, but um, my mother was uh, dropped off at an orphanage by her mother uh, both my mom and her sister were dropped off at a Catholic orphanage uh, again my mother uh, experienced uh, emotional and physical abuse uh, at the Catholic uh, orphanage and um, I, I struggled in my youth with religion um, because I, I I became my so this is very complicated. I just remember my mom telling me when I had a crisis of faith uh, that she had come to the understanding that there were so many different beliefs. But she didn't know that until later, in, like in her teens or 20s when she went to college, that, you know, what she was being told and what was being forced upon her by the nuns at the orphanage. Uh, that that wasn't necessarily the in the entire universe. Uh, and, and when you, so when you grow up in that, and I do think that being spiritual and being in a religion can also incorporate having questions and having a crisis of faith and wondering you know it, it what i is, is what i have been told what i've been taught what i've come to understand is Absolutely the truth. Uh, So when I was born, uh, again, my parents had not baptized me. My mother had become a Mormon in Mexico. She had met some missionaries. Um, She, you know, she found she was interested in their teachings. And the thing is, my mother... uh, is spiritually open to all kinds of of religions. She's also uh, practiced Buddhism. And uh, that's something that I have, you know, whether it's meditation or understanding reality and and permanence, uh, that right now, you know, what's happened in the past, you know, is, you know, it is, it can impact you, but you also, you know, need to be in the now. But at any rate, um, I was... uh, just, I, I kind of was all over the place. I went to Lutheran school. Uh, I was a, I was baptized Mormon. I had, I would go to Catholic. Uh, I would go to Catholic services a lot with my friends, uh, whether it was for their celebrations or just to, you know, I, I was curious. So for me, I think that religion is a gathering of people who have similar beliefs. I don't think that religion should impose, religious organizations should impose what they believe, what they, what they think we should do morally. I just, I don't, I just don't buy that. Uh, your religion, your morals are yours that's you know that's your conversation with your congregation with your with who you believe to be the creator the bible is not law you know there's a reason why our founding fathers separated that and and to the whole idea that our founding fathers were christians uh, they there's a whole there's all kinds of writings their own quotes about how they did not believe that uh, well the teachings of the bible should have a direct impact on our our constitution so there's a there's there's a, a reason for that. Uh, let's see. In, in, from the 312, we have another text. Enlightening conversation regarding the Catholics for choice. I grew up with a, with a strict indoctrination and looking back can see how some with religious upbringing can be easily recruited into a cult. And, and I and I also think, oh, in another text, with 68% of Catholics supporting access to abortion, why are conservative Catholics so focused on abortion and women and child health care? Or listening to the Pope and focusing on, on, on economic security. Right, You know, the Pope we have now has has said that, you know, the Catholics should chill on abortion. But I know that there are a lot of conservative Catholics who do not like the current Pope. Uh, But I I appreciate his teachings. I, I like listening to what somebody who, you know, has... The it has the call to service, right? Many in in religious groups, whether they're priests, nuns, uh, whether they're pastors, uh, you know, whatever you know, elders in the church, they feel a calling. I think that some people, when challenged with something that uh, uh, that contradicts their religious upbringing or their beliefs, I, I think there is uh, a. There's, first is sort of like a, you know, attacking those who challenge their views. I think that's where we end up with a lot of this. And, and again, I've said this before. For me, being a progressive, for being a liberal means I am open to other ideas uh, that are. You know, coming from a place of wanting to help people, wanting to do what's right. When it is about control, I'm not open to ideas about controlling people or causing people harm. I am not open to expanding, uh, look, for example, expanding access to... Weapons of war that are, are in the hands of people in, who intend to, to kill as many people as possible. Uh, I just that I'm not open to, in I will have arguments with people, but people who are absolutists on parts of our Constitution. And it's so bizarre because that would go. I mean, I can't imagine that you know, Christ would want children slaughtered in their schools or people in their grocery stores, their synagogues, movie theaters. Uh, I I just, I I can't, I can't buy that. I don't buy that people who wave the banner of Christ truly are pro-life. I I can't, I just, I can't reconcile it with, again, someone mentioned the death penalty. Um, You know, there's a percentage of people on death row right now who are innocent. They know that there's a percentage, even Justice Scalia, years before he died, said he was willing to accept the, the percentage of people who may be wrongfully put to death because uh, that was a chance he was willing to take. It just it just it comes with the territory kind of an attitude. So how is that? How is that pro-life? How is that protecting life? I, I, I don't understand that at all. Uh, let's see. Uh, we have uh, we've got. A, oh, we uh, we have a, a ditto. I'll, I'll take a ditto. Um, the 773, my religion says I can't do that. No problem. My religion says you can't do that. That's a big problem. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, I'm not, I, I just, I'm not interested in what your religion uh, has to do with me. Uh, if you, if you're, you know, if your calling is to recruit more people, well, it's certainly not by controlling us uh, and and doing it legislatively is what they seem to be intent on doing. Who? Let's take a break here. 773 763 9278 That's the number to call and join us anytime, uh for any reason. I am excited. In just a few moments, I am going to uh share an interview that we did earlier today. Now we, we pre recorded this and the video is going to be available online. We uh we were able to we had an interview with the assistant secretary of the Department of the Treasury, uh Eric von Nostrand, and uh, that's coming up in just a few moments to talk about how the Inflation Reduction Act of twenty twenty two uh And the climate aspect of that is helping communities that have been disadvantaged, whether it's communities in urban areas or communities in coal country, uh, fossil fuel communities that have been disproportionately impacted in the past and how this is going to really uh, have a positive impact going forward. More after this on WCPT 820, Heartland Signal and KTNF 950 AM, Minneapolis, St. Paul. Earlier today, the U.S. Department of Treasury published a new analysis on the impact of the Inflation Reduction Act in driving clean energy investment. So we are thrilled to welcome to the show Assistant Secretary at the Department of Treasury, Eric Van Nostrand. Thank you so much for joining us, sir. How are you doing today?
7: I'm doing great, Patty. Thanks for having me.
3: Uh, We're thrilled, and I know it's a lot of interviews. Uh, So one of the things that I want to know about, because the way um, the press release we got was worded, I'm like, this sounds like a great thing. So the analysis shows that investments in the clean energy economy are disproportionately benefiting economically disadvantaged communities. Uh, There's a lot... (laughs) So how is it? So you're saying it's helping some folks who previously have been, we would say, the brunt end of economic and, and environmental issues. So tell us a little bit about that.
7: That's exactly the key point. It's been a little more than a year since the Inflation Reduction Act passed, and the data that's come in so far has made clear that the law is working, as the president intended, on two, in two main categories. We're working to address climate change aggressively by making a lot of clean investments that are booming across the country. But importantly, and this is the main point of the analysis that we released this morning, those investments are tending to land in, in counties and in areas of the country that are, are historically economically disadvantaged. So we're not building these new clean energy factories in the most advantaged parts of the country. We're building them in places that, um, you know, that are at the risk of being left behind from the energy transition in the absence of policies like the IRA. So the investments we're making are helping create good-paying jobs in those communities that have historically relied on fossil fuels and that today face higher than, lower than average college graduation rates, higher than average poverty rates. What we're excited to find a year into the laws, uh, the laws implementation is that more than 80% of the dollars of clean investment that have been launched since the IRA passed are going to counties that have below average wages. And more than 85% of those dollars are going to counties that have below average college graduation rates. So the people who are benefiting most from these investments are those who need it most in places where the money's going to places where opportunity, where, you know, potential exists. But opportunity has been scarce historically, and the IRA is is designed to change that at the same time we're addressing climate change.
3: So tell us a little bit about that, because I really only learned about environmental justice in the last couple of years. And in, in Chicago, for example, one of the ways we talk about it is where these plants that maybe create toxic environments have traditionally been built where, you know, Areas that have the ability to sort of push back and say "not in my backyard." So you know, the the more stressed communities end up there, and then even the uh, you know taking them down has been sort of had, had a negative impact. Tell us a little bit about your work in this in this space of you know. Not just in urban areas, as you mentioned, uh, areas where the, the uh, college rates, the employment rates are impacted by environment and e- economics. Tell us about like, some of the areas, because fossil fuels also sounds like maybe coal mining towns, mm-hmm. uh, areas that don't have a lot of economic investment. Tell us a little bit about that.
7: It's a great question, and it's exactly the concern that animates the president's focus on addressing climate change while also addressing inequality. There's this, there's this old kind of way of thinking about climate policy over the past couple of decades, which is to assume that you need to make some choice between helping disadvantaged communities that need it the most or addressing climate change. And what the IRA has shown over the past year is that that choice is a false one. And you can address climate change and help the communities that need it most at the same time. And that's by investing in building these clean energy manufacturing facilities In those very places you cited, what we call energy communities that historically have relied on fossil fuels to support their economy, and that as the globe transitions away from fossil fuels, you know, might face a risk of being left behind in that transition. The president thinks a lot about those families in those places and wants to make sure that as we invest in clean energy, we're taking care of everyone. And that the investment dollars are going to lift up the communities that need it most. It's, I think it's a really powerful point to show that this, that this money, which is, which gets a lot of attention for addressing climate change generally is also addressing inequality by lifting up those specific places that are most challenged today both because they've historically relied on fossil fuels, but also because they just face broader economic challenges with respect to education and poverty and incomes. And by investing in those communities, we can help the aggregate in the most efficient way.
3: And you mentioned this is also a jobs creation element of the of the climate uh, portion of the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. What kind of what kind of jobs are we talking about? Solar panels, wind, uh, wind energy, those kinds of elements as well?
7: Yeah, absolutely. All of the above is the answer there. And the important thing to remember is they're manufacturing jobs. They're, so they're the same skill sets that these communities have historically relied upon, just in maybe a different type of factory than we've seen over the past couple decades. That's really a central part of the president's aim, to keep investing in the skills and talent that exist in these communities, but uh, you know to direct them in a way that addresses the existential global challenge we face from climate change.
3: And to that, so th- there's obviously for years this uh, roaring debate about whether or not climate change is real, what causes it, all these things. What we do know is that the climate is changing and that's, you know, creating a, a, a A situation where people are fleeing countries because, you know, perhaps their way of life has been decimated by heating or cooling. What are some of the things that we are doing? It's not about whether or not it's happening. It's how we react. Right. So what are some of the things in that avenue of whether it's, you know, making sure flooding is uh, an issue that it's addressed or, you know, we see huge storms that are decimating parts of the country? What, how does this uh, really uh, approach those issues?
7: Yeah, it's a great question. Addressing climate change requires a multifaceted approach. It can't just be one strategy. And that multifaceted approach is central to what we've, t- to the approach we've taken in the IRA. So we're focused on, you know, headline things that get a lot of attention, like wind and solar, which are really important. Um, but also importantly, we're taking a broad view of the different technologies that can be, um, you know, that can be used to address climate change. So it's batteries, it's solar, it's EVs, it's things like sustainable aviation fuel that get less attention. And one of the, one of the key results that we're, we're really excited about and seeing how this played out over the past year is those headline statistics I mentioned that this money is, is landing in more disadvantaged communities. That's not just true on average or for electric vehicles. It's true for every single one of the 12 main technologies that are included in the IRA. In each of those 12 main technologies, we're finding that it, more than half of the money is going to underserved communities. And that combination of a multifaceted approach to climate change at the same time that we're lifting up disadvantaged communities is emblematic of the president's agenda and exactly the sort of thing we want to see.
3: As we continue to talk about the impacts of the the climate portion of the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, what do you see going forward? Because I know you're tight on time, so I want to give you a chance to say anything that you have on the table. I never like for people to end an interview going, "Oh, you know what I meant to say." So give it to us, please. Oh something- uh, well,
7: well, I appreciate that. I think the bottom line is we talked a little bit about the trade off between, or the false the false trade off, the idea that you have to pick between helping underserved communities and fighting climate change. The IRA is designed to do both. But the IRA is also designed to do a third thing, which is to strengthen our economy overall, to increase the productive capacity of our economy by building new competencies and new industries that America has the talent and resources to be a global leader in. And that, and we expect to see aggregate economic growth for everyone come out of these investments as well, even as we start by directing them to some of the more disadvantaged communities. That, that trifecta, if you will, strengthening economic growth, addressing climate change and helping the most underserved communities first is really is what we think is so special about this law and the way it's being implemented.
3: I'm so grateful that you're getting the word out there. And so my last question is, what is the best way? So some folks don't necessarily seek out this information. These aren't big headlines, you know, that are in the, the front page of the papers. How do people stay informed with what the what kind of work you're doing and the successes that we're seeing?
7: I'll, I'll give you, I'll point you to two important places. The first is a, a, a website that the White House launched a couple months ago called invest.gov. Invest.gov tracks broadly the investments that are being made in response, not just to the IRA, but to the, the president's full trifecta of economic legislation over the past couple of years, including the bipartisan infrastructure law and the chips and science act. And invest.gov can uh, keep track of these ongoing investments. Um, and monitor where they're landing, so you can see how these how these laws are affecting your community. And I'd encourage you to check out the Treasury website, where we post this analysis and others like it that point to the economic impact of the agenda, both in aggregate, but also for the communities that need it most.
3: Well, thank you so much. I, we need that information. Uh, we appreciate your time and your insight, obviously your expertise, and would love to have you back as your schedule allows, sir.
7: Always happy to join, Patty.
3: Thanks so much for having me. Have a great day. Thank you, sir. And that was our interview, our pre-recorded interview with uh, sec- the Assistant Secretary of the Department of Treasury. Uh, it was really, I, I felt so, I was like, I'm doing what? <laughs> it was very cool. So we hope to get more updates from various departments uh, and uh, keep in contact with the White House. Let's take a break here. We'll continue our show when we come back on WCPT 820. Heartland Signal and KTNF, 950 a.m. in Minneapolis, St. Paul.
2: I don't lie-
4: Just for you, sing with me just like Jesus would do. And vote, gosh darn it! Vote, gosh Please darn it.
0: vote, gosh darn it! Vote, gosh it's darn the it. American thing to vote, gosh, vote, darn, it. gosh darn, it. darn it! See that you vote, gosh darn it! Vote, ah, it. Oh, Vote, oh, oh,
3: It's <laughs> a good, vote gosh darn it by Steve Goody. You can go to stevegoody.com. And I believe, I don't know if that's on his album, what I did during my pandemic vacation, but he's got a lot of great songs. Follow him on YouTube as well. And every Monday night, I am honored to be a part of the virtual comedy show. You can go to virtualcomedyshow.com and, uh, or follow us on social media. You'll know on Mondays uh, about our show. It's always, I mean, we've had some incredible guests on the show, so. Uh, highly recommend you know we didn 't even get a chance today to talk about uh the the uh, efforts in Congress to uh remove George Santos uh, under all of the investigations and charges that he 's facing uh so george santos uh, the account I would say I enjoy following the most when it comes to our electeds and for those electeds that are out there. i look congressman Quigley we love following you uh there 's a there 's a lot of uh, a lot of folks I enjoy. Uh, following and, and they do a great job of making sure that you have information that, you know, whether it's uh, senior citizens uh, getting vaccinations or upcoming events. I know uh, Congressman Quigley posted about, uh, his, you know, needing more support and aid for Ukraine. And I got the, the newsletter about that. But you guys, and I know uh, if you listen to Stephanie Miller in the mornings, uh, she plays a lot of audio from uh, from Congresswoman Jasmine Crockett. And this lady pulls no punches Absolutely at all. And so I, I highly recommend that you follow Jasmine Crockett on uh, on social media. It's Jasmine for US. And she writes about how George Santos So she summarizes uh, what he said, that he was duly elected. And she emphasizes duly because that may be up for debate. I do think that when you mislead voters, you can't say when you lie. And I know that most candidates, you know, fudge the truth, uh, having been at the, the sharp end of the that you know, campaigning stick uh, being the uh, you know somebody who had to weather really horrendous lies, and uh, it, it was just gross. But also misrepresenting yourself, uh, cheating, uh, contributors to your campaign, uh, bilking them out of money, uh, credit card fraud. It, 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 that is, whoa. I mean, that's above and beyond, uh, the sort of nefarious tactics that a lot of uh, politicians resort to. Uh, let's see. Number two, uh, said his office is doing excellent work for the people in his district. <laughs> I think that the people in his district would would disagree. And by the way, uh, I just I just remembered some of the things that he was spending campaign fu- uh, funds on, including OnlyFans, uh, makeup, uh, trips. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, He says he can't be expelled because it would be a terrible precedent to set Uh, and basically said, I double dog dare y'all to expel me. Y'all have tried twice. So they are uh, they are attempting to remove uh, him from the. uh, uh, Yeah. We'll see what happens. Uh, I I know that the reason conservatives have circled the wagons around him is because they feel they cannot afford to lose a single seat. And when your only focus is on maintaining power, uh, you are not going to give that up at all. And yet... I really hate coming back to talking about Al Franken because I just, as a legislator, I thought he was extraordinary as somebody in committee hearings, grilling somebody, holding them accountable. Uh, It was just, it was fantastic uh, to experience. And, uh, you know, the, and that, again, this is hard because as somebody who has reported sexual harassment and abuse, I do struggle when there are allegations. And and yet I do think that, you know, uh, people should have the opportunity to be heard uh, and he addressed. It and yet there was it was not good enough for the Democrats and they demanded that he resign and he did so uh, and yet again and again Republicans uh, do not ever uh, hold their own accountable never demand accountability and uh, and it's frustrating we see this uh, have horrific uh, effects including where we are now with the Supreme Court and uh and i i i don't know what jasmine crockett's plans are uh for her future but i i enjoy uh i enjoy basking in her no bs approach uh whether it's in a committee hearing or uh on social media or in interviews she's uh she's extraordinary i just i adore her 7737639278 uh, i know we have a, a few minutes left here i do want to remind folks whether you're listening in the chicago land area or our friends up in minneapolis st paul that it's really uh it's so much- much fun to be able to connect with folks through our, our live stream. I know I'm not as uh, diligent as I should be to keep up on those conversations, but I, I, I do like that there is a text that came in that is somebody who's watching on the uh, Facebook stream asking like why somebody uh, posts things on the, uh, the live stream. And yet when you go to their page and you know who we're looking at, first of all, if you do not have Any image. I mean, even if you used a stocked image as your profile picture, it does lend itself at least some credence, right? But if you have just the silhouette as your profile picture, it's hard to take you seriously. I will acknowledge the text because it's coming from somewhere. It does seem as though this guy is not a bot. Uh, I think he's a living, breathing human being uh, who is... uh, Let's see, dug in in his position. But I do want to say to our uh, our friend who follows us on the live stream and said that he wanted to buy a burner phone. I, I think that I didn't phrase that well for our friend earlier from the uh, – uh, Jamie from the Catholics for Choice. Uh, I believe our friend said he wanted a burner phone so that we couldn't track him. Like he's afraid of us tracing him. And so let me tell you something. I've been doing this for 10 years, and there have been pretty – uh, horrendous text yours are they're adorable by you, your totes adorbs is all i'm saying compared to the things that i have had to read and the the kinds of uh horrible things that people have sent to me and said to me um but i the one that you posted today kind of caught my attention because um i don't know if you realize that but that's threatening and i'm going to tell you why um it is so this uh listener said that or this viewer says that they would fight for me to the to the death i guess but when they are successful i need to change my ways and that is the kind of uh s- sentiment that is It's authoritarian. I'm not telling you got to change anything. I wish that you would be able to take a step back and realize how you've been lied to and been misled. And I'm really sorry that you fell for it. That is really a shame. It's not a good feeling to feel like you've been tricked into something. So I get why you get so angry. I wouldn't want to have to admit that I was tricked. And, And look, I... I have, I don't like it, but I will do it. I said earlier that I have posted things that I realized later that I was spreading information that was wrong. And I will go, you know what? and I post about it I will say that I, that I was mistaken with the information that I had and uh, and I and I do my best to go forward and say you know what that wasn't correct right now what's going on in the Middle East and the reactions that I'm seeing from people that I uh, I look up to and admire and uh, and some of whom I'm I have good relationships with one of the reasons I post nothing on social media in regards to that is because I do not feel well informed enough I cannot believe how many Middle East experts I have have in my world, because I, I did not know that prior to October seventh, I never saw anybody post anything about that. And I don't get into those. I don't get into the, the arguments. Uh, my heart breaks. Uh, I, I think it was a, a terrorist attack. I, I think that uh, we need to do our best to make sure that it, in in defending uh, Israel, that we don't continue to to kill and slaughter people. At the same time, what what we, uh, President Biden's efforts to call for the ceasefire and negotiating that uh, seems to go unnoticed by the people who are like, I can't possibly vote for him. And you're you're. I feel like people are falling for a lot of uh, emotions that are are spreading online, uh, whether it's misinformation or trying to guide people. At any rate. The phrase you're going to need. I I need an example of what ways I need to change in the event that you defend me in what seems to be, I guess, violence or uh, an intellectual debate. And once you you win, I need to change my ways. I, I don't. The idea of being progressive is no one has to change their morals. Just don't impose them on me. That's. I think that's pretty easy to understand for everybody. Uh, coming up tomorrow, I will be broadcasting from the National Museum of Mexican Art. I am so excited because this is one of my favorite locations in the city of Chicago. An incredible art collection. And if you've never been there, please consider uh, going to the National Museum of Mexican Art. It is in uh, Pilsen. You can go to their website and find out what events they have coming up. That's nationalmuseumofmexicanart.org. And... Um, I, I, it's always an honor when I'm invited to, to do any events there. Let's say, let's uh, take off now. We have to go. Thank you everyone so much. Alejandro, it was a pleasure hanging out with you today. Uh, next week, Dan Schaefer and Megan Kelly will be filling in for me and and uh, working with Alejandro on on Thursday. Um, and that's uh, that's our show. Mike Crute's up next with Devil's Advocates. Thank you everybody here at WCPT. Have a great night.